0: Hello, everyone. Robert Walker here, along with Caleb Pierce, and we are Sheep Things Podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to get down to the basics with industry leaders, associations, breeders, owners, vets, suppliers, and anyone else we can find to hear their stories and firsthand experiences. Hopefully, we will ask the right questions to see what makes them successful, how they got started, and what they see for the future
1: of the sheep industry. We hope to have something new weekly that we can share, so stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates as they're published. Stay tuned as we try to share our learning experience with you all as we dive into the sheep industry together.
0: So guys today we're going to do something a little different uh we have focused on uh, some long-time breeders in our first three or four podcasts and i thought we'd mix it up and get a different perspective from a fairly new new guy kind of like me and caleb and uh um hear his tale and his story and and kind of uh, give a different perspective from what uh everybody's heard in the last three or four episodes so uh Today we got Brad Carruthers from Ohio and, uh, Brad, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into this and where you're from and what you do?
2: Absolutely. My name is Brad Carruthers. Um, I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio, and I now live in Mount Vernon, Ohio with my wife, Katie. Um, originally we, you know, we both actually grew up in Columbus. Um, in the city and stuff. Uh, she rode horses and when I was a teenager, my uh, parents actually uh, got a hold of a farm and we raised a uh, Texas Longhorn down in Southern Ohio. But for the most part, we were, uh, we were city kids um, and we moved out here in 2014. We both went to the Miami University in Ohio. I got a degree in mechanical engineering. She got a degree in botany. And we came up here to Mount Vernon because I got a job up here working in the natural gas industry. Designed to manufacture natural gas compressors for well heads and pipelines and stuff like uh-huh. that. So wow.
0: What's the name yeah. of the co- What's the name of the company?
2: Aerial Corporation. We're based out of Mount Vernon here.
1: So that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah. I uh I started here when I graduated college back in 2014 and my wife and I moved up here and I started working here and we've been here for six years now. So,
0: Is that where uh, the guy, I'm thinking New Albany, New Albany is where the guy that owns Victoria's Secret is, right?
2: Yeah. Les Wexner. Yeah,
0: That's yeah.
2: probably 30, 45 minutes kind of Southwest of us. That's right on the outside of Columbus.
0: Yeah, I watched uh I watched the Jeffrey Epstein Netflix deal last night. Yeah. Holy moly, man. If y'all uh-huh. ain't seen that, y'all, dude, this guy's yeah. uh huh. It's a whole thing. So man, you're pretty close to uh so I just looked at Mount Vernon. You're really close, and you may have already, you may have been there.
2: That Skyline Turkey Farm, you ever been there? No, but you talk about it like every time I talk to Man, you. Man, you're like <laughs> 10 miles from there. Seriously. I, I told you you drove past my house to go there, and you didn't you didn't hardly believe me. You're not even 10 miles from there. You're like three or four miles probably. <laughs> Actually, I think I've met the guy once inadvertently at an auction somewhere. He mentioned – I overheard him talking to somebody about, you know, the conf- – well they call them housed sheep now they don't call them confinement anymore they like like call them housed but yeah. it's not like a cool operation i mean it's not the way i want to do sheep but it's something
0: well it would be the way i would do sheep if i had to if i had the contract that he's got and needed to do volume i mean he can do 1500 head of a sheep on a small area and uh hey yeah, the day. It was yeah, an eye opener for me how clean that place was.
2: Well, yeah, how clean and, the sheep
0: I mean, was. No parasites. I mean, no it's God like a small,
2: it. it's a small area where he houses them, but it's much larger area that
0: she works at. Lost.
2: Do what now? It's one of those. They say it's a small area, but it's like there is a huge geographic area that's required to support. That many animals. I mean, so well, is, he's he's running about four
0: hundred acres, best I remember.
2: Yeah, he, exactly.
0: He uses that for his alfalfa and corn, and he uh-huh. grows he grows his feed. You know, sure. yeah. uh, and His his buildings are like eighty by three eighty or something
2: like that. Yeah. There's there's quite a few uh, chicken barns and stuff like that um, out this way. Um, I know. The biggest ones are probably Case and Gerber, but they're a little bit, mostly a little bit west of me. Um, most of those are on the west side of Columbus. though. Like They're really, really big ones where it's super flat out there. But we do have quite a bit up this way. But then we're also right on the bridge of Amish country. Right. So, you know, that, that that's a whole other thing because it is more hilly. It's a little bit more... Um, I mean, honestly, there's tons of sheep. I mean, it's suited for sheep, you know, versus, you know, big flat barns uh, where you can <laughs> find an operation. It's not quite as suited as it is in Western Ohio and Northwest Ohio. And we bought an eight acre farm. Originally, we were both into horses. Uh, I grew up doing a team roping and she grew up in the uh, English horse world. And then we both actually... Showed raining horses uh, in college, and we were kind of doing that up here. And when we bought the house, there was uh, eight, uh, probably a one-acre uh, paddock that we had fenced off where we put in a new septic system. And we decided it kind of got overgrown, and we're like, well, you know, let's just get some goats at the local auction, and they can graze it down, and then we'll get rid of them. And we're like, well, why don't we just get some lambs, you know, Chops are kind of a thing. We never really <laughs> ate much lamb before we got into sheep. Um, so, like ever, like some people, when you get started, we went on Craigslist and we found two sheep up in Northern Ohio. It was a ram and a ewe. We didn't really know much about it. One thing we did uh, look up before we bought them, we kind of just were googling sheep, and then we found hair sheep. And I was like, that sounds wonderful. I don't want to shear sheep.
1: <laughs>
2: so we just Googled, you know, we just looked on Craigslist for hair sheep and we bought two and we brought them home. We bought a Ram and a U. Um, now I would never have even thought about buying them. They were obviously not very good, but we put them out in our little one acre paddock there. And in the morning we're like, Oh, let's go out and look at our new sheep. And, and there was there was three sheep. The you had a lamb um, overnight, and all of a sudden we <laughs> had the starting of our flock. Talk
1: about a return on investment. That is a great return yeah. on your investment.
2: <laughs> I mean, the guy was like, "Yeah, she just won't lamb." And he goes, "She must just be fat." And we were just like, "Okay, like what the heck do we know?" You know, um, we're like, maybe you know, she, she wasn't even that heavy. I mean, she didn't look pregnant, honestly, even today. You know, knowing what I know now, I still don't really think she was, but, you know, she just had a – it was a small single, so, you know, sometimes, you know, they don't necessarily show all that much. But, uh yeah, so we had – uh then we had three, and then we were like, well, you know, we started collecting more and more. Um We got up to ten, and then we were kind of looking more – and, and they were commercial sheep. Uh, we had a couple uh, Katahdin Dorper crosses. We had a couple Dorpers. Um, stuff we just kind of picked up. And we were like, you know, we like this. So we kind of started looking more into it. And we kind of started researching different breeds um, of hair sheep. And we found the Katahdins and went on the KHSI website. And we found a local breeder. Uh, Her name happened to be Donna Stoneback up in uh, Loudonville, Ohio, which is only about a half hour north of us. And we drove up there, and she had some, she's since out of the business, but she had some really, really nice katahdins. I mean, we were so impressed versus what we had at our place. You know, I mean, they were structurally correct, they were wide, they were thick, you know, they were. You know, just super balanced sheep with great hair coats. And she actually introduced us to NSIP. Um, She was involved in it. And she was like, hey, you know, I've got a couple ewes here. They've only got half an udder. You know, I'll sell them to you at a good price if you guys want to get into registered Katakans. And we were like, okay. You know, we knew we'd probably have to deal with some bottle babies and stuff, but, you know, we wanted to slowly kind of grow our flock and so that's what we decided to do. And then she was like, Hey, there's a expo um, that KHSI puts on down to Tennessee. And so we decided, well, you know, let's go. And that was the expo in Cookville. Oh, that had been four years ago, three years ago, something like that. I think four years ago, 2016. Yeah. So we went down to it. And we sat in the educational seminars, which we always appreciate, you know, especially as new producers at the time. And we were like, wow, (laughs) (laughs) we've got some changes we need to make. And the one that really, I'll never forget this. um, Susan Shonen was doing a talk about um, confirmation and she said it costs just as much to raise bad sheep as it does good sheep. And sometimes more, mm. you know, with, yeah, you know, like you'll have health problems, you'll have various things, but also like, you know, you have, you still have to feed them. You still have to house them. So why don't you just raise good sheep? And it was like, why don't we, you know, the ones we had, we thought were okay. We knew they weren't great, but we were like, Oh, well, you know, they, they're sheep. And, but after that, we kind of walked out of there and we were like, it's, it's time to rethink how we're doing things. And we'd only been in it for a short time, but quickly, you know, it only takes a year of raising, you know, not the greatest sheep to think, wow, it has to be better than this. (laughs) And so, you know, we talked to Donna and we were like, Hey, you know, we want to go all in. And she had a smaller flock and she's like, well, um, My good friend, Kathy Bielick up in Worcester, you know, she has some NSIP catatums or similar genetics to mine, you know, between the two of us, we could probably get you a starter flock. And so we're like, great. So literally that night uh, we threw up our whole flock on Craigslist and we sold it to some other person who decided they want to start with sheep on Craigslist and we sold our whole flock and we started over again. Um, we bought registered katadins that were all, uh, enrolled in NSIP and, you know, we wanted, we knew we wanted parasite resistance. That was something that we were struggling with, with the commercial stock that we had from, you know, random people that was just a assortment of sheep. And we knew that was one thing that we wanted to focus on. And then that we also wanted to focus on a grass-based system. Um, Mm -hmm. that was kind of what steered us to the sheep that we originally purchased. Um, we also in the first couple years, we played around with some non NSIP Rams okay. uh, from various breeders and various management systems. Um, and we, we didn't have, we had inconsistent success, I, sh- I would say. Um, yeah. and now we've been strictly uh, NSIP sheep for three years now. Um, and this year it was really cool. In the first couple of years we focused heavily on parasite resistance. Um, and then we wanted to still have some, some balanced maternal traits. Mm-hmm. And then this year we actually brought in, uh, two high growth rams. Yeah. They were also parasite resistant. That, that, that was one thing that we decided from the beginning we weren't willing to really lose. Um, One ram we did bring in doesn't have the greatest parasite resistant EBVs. However, he does have a wonderful phenotype. He has that really short, thick, stocky, long, you know, muscular, uh, build some of our use needed, you know, and, and that's, I think something that's important is knowing when you need to, you know, reevaluate where you're at and realize what your goals are. Um, There's lots of rams out there. So, you know, we only have uh, 35 views and I've got five rams. I don't use five every year, (laughs) but it's always good to kind of have options. And you guys, I know you've got plenty as well. So yeah, I collect them. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't know. It's I, what I really enjoy about NSIP is it's kind of like the mad scientist thing. (laughs) You know, like you get to, Hey, these are what my are looking like, you know, what if I, and one thing that I think there's a lot of, Oh, what some people don't understand about NSIP, like it's, it's one part of the toolbox, you know, you know, for us, it's an important part because as we've been selecting for certain traits, even in a short time, I mean, the dividends we've seen in some of our lamb crops have been noticeable, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but also you need to take a step back and you have to look at your sheep and they have, they have to work. You know, the numbers can tell you one thing and sometimes the numbers may tell you something right, but you may have a, structural issue you may have you know various things that as a good shepherd you can't pass on yeah
0: okay so question do you look at your sheep first or do you look at your data first what do you do i know what i do so
2: i know what you do and i listen to it on a podcast and i would love to say that that's what i do you know um i look at my sheep every day you know, yeah. I don't look at my data every day. So that's one. No, just kidding. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, Weirdo. <laughs> I know. And I know in the back of my head, like, kind of what their numbers are. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, like, I want well, and I see some, and it's like, man, I wish, I wish you were better, but.
1: Yeah. And well, I, I mean, think that... it's, it's, you are you know, taking a balanced approach to it, which I think is important because if you, if you focus just on structure, if you focus just on numbers, I mean, you're going to end up with a train wreck in, in the opposite thing. It's, you know, it goes back to the the three-legged stool analogy where if you try to sit on a two-legged stool, that's just, you're going to fall over. Um, you have to have that balance between the production and the structure. And I think, you know, when you're out with them every day, um, you obviously are going to see their structure. And I think that's, that's helpful. And, and I mean, the reality is if you you've got the data and, and so you have an idea at least of what their data is going to be like. So
0: but man, they um, change so much, you know, yeah. from
1: 30 days to six months,
0: you know? Yeah. And I, and I see people post a picture of a two week old lamb and go, Oh, I'm keeping my eye on this one. Really? you keep your eye on all of them, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, but you get emotionally attached. If, if you, if you come out of the box going, Oh, this is a world champion here, you know, but in a horse world, you know, if I breed to this horse or this mare and I'm like, Oh man, you know, he's going to be a futurity winner, you know, then I'm emotionally blinded, you know, by his pedigree and not his ability or his attributes, you know? And, um, I don't know. I just try to be the cold-hearted, non-emotional guy. And my wife says I'm pretty good at it. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean it's like for us like you should enjoy raising sheep though.
0: You know, like if like yeah. I Oh, I do. I do. I drive I go, "Oh man, that's a good-looking animal," but I don't
2: watch his number. Watch his number.
0: Yeah, I don't do that. I wait till I you
2: know, go through my list, you know. Well, cool. And one thing I like about like I go out there i'm 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 not gonna lie, you know we have like a favorites list, but mm-hmm. it also changes weekly, you know we're not like stuck in the past with like oh well, that one looked great, you know they yeah. you do know, I mean they grow and they change and they look I mean our you know quote unquote best list from thirty days to now, you know it's not the same, mhm-, you know, but it just it kind of makes it fun and interactive, but at the end of the day, if the numbers say no, (laughs) you need to trust them. You know, I mean, there's, especially once you have accurate data. And that's one thing that I think uh, some people don't put as much stock into. I mean, one benefit we had, we knew after we really researched NSIP that that's what we wanted to do. And we didn't want to wait for our data to get accurate as we brought in rams. Mm-hmm. And I know it's not possible for everybody, you know, but if you do have a small flock, you know, cause like when, when we started NSIP, you know, we had, you know, we bought 10, maybe 16 used, you know, not a huge flock, but what we did was we got rid of our old flock and bought all enrolled NSIP used. So when we used NSIP RAMs, we had accuracy from the beginning, and then we also buffed from people who had been in it a very, very long time.
1: Yeah, that accuracy thing is is so important because if you don't, I mean, you know, you can select on numbers, but if those numbers don't mean anything, then you're not really selecting on anything. So, um, you know, it's it's important to make sure that that what you're selecting on is is actually accurate information. It, it's just like anything. I mean, if, if you were to go out and buy a car and you were to buy it based off of miles per gallon and the tests that they ran for the miles per gallon were all inaccurate, well then you're buying on, you know, you're buying on nothing. You might as well buy on color or or the shape of the, the car, but um, where the numbers are really going to help you is when you have some accurate numbers.
2: Yeah. And I think that's, you know, as you, if you do start from use not enrolled in NSIP and you do bring in rams from NSIP flocks, if you're going to do that from the beginning, make sure like connectedness is key because it can bring in accuracy more quickly than if you just buy relatively unproven ram lambs from newer NSIP flocks, you know, and that's not, that's, it's easier said than done. You know, I mean, sometimes it's difficult getting a hold of those, you know, really good connected mature rams, but it's worth the effort, I would say. Well, I'll tell
0: you something. Whenever the first connectivity report came out a couple of years ago, I was totally shocked that I was highly connected to two or three people. I didn't even know, you know, uh, based on the connections we both had with other breeders that I was more connected to two or three flocks that I was not related to.
2: Well, that's like, for example, Robert, you and I are in the same cluster, but my base flock came from someone in a different cluster.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: It was really interesting to find that out. Actually, I think we're all in the same cluster.
1: Yeah, we are. Which is, which is funny because I don't, I don't know if, well, I think, I think Brad, you and I have probably bought from one person in common, but other than that, I don't think. Man, I've had
0: sheep from probably eight or nine different flocks. So I'm, I'm am i I'm all over the place
1: yeah <laughs> yep and I, I you know the it's interesting how that connectivity report is put together too just you know and, and it doesn't tell you everything but it is interesting to look at for sure because it you know it, it tells you how your your flock can compare to other flocks as far as a you know percentage of connectivity and as long as you have a high enough percentage um, then you can be fairly confident that that you're gonna have the ability to compare EBVs across systems, which I mean, that really comes into play when, when you're trying to improve on genetics, because you can you can be fairly certain how a ram is going to prove out in your system before you even buy it, before you even put a deposit down. You can you can have an idea of how his lambs are going to turn out, how his how his uh, how his daughters are going to turn out, producing you know, grandsons.
0: You know, and, that's, a, that's a good point. I bought two old rams this year, uh, eight and nine years old, and everybody's mm-hmm. like, golly, man, they're about dead. Yeah, but they've <laughs> been on three or four farms apiece, and they and one of them's got, you know, 350 lambs in the SIP, and the other one's close to 200. And the cool thing is is both of them have been on a, a um, grain-fed type farm and a grass-fed only farm. And, and the data is accurate for both. I mean, it's, uh, it, it doesn't waver, you know, between flocks. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. So and I, I, mean, bought, I bought them just for the accuracy, you know, uh, to get my, yeah. Yeah, I know where I'm at. I know where I'll be. Uh, and it's three, I see probably three quarters of the flocks in both of those rams. I'm not connected to directly. Uh, mm-hmm. so very interesting. That was like – You guys do. I collect rams too. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, it's easier to – when you walk to the barn or walk to the
2: field, you might as well feed a 100. as just one, so. That's the thing. I mean, all mine live together, and if they don't get along, then that one goes, you know. Correct. And it's just – it's nice. I started doing that uh, two years ago. Um, I had just two, and – I was at the Eastern NSIP sale and I missed out on a Ram that I wanted and I was sitting there like, you know what? I don't have the right Rams. You know, I've got one that's all right, but I don't have faith in the other one. And it prompted an impromptu trip 13 hours one way, you know, but it was something that I had to do because I don't want to lose a lamb crop. But after that I was like, I'm going to have options. I'm going to have backup options if I don't have faith in one. Um, but also, kind of getting back to the mature rams that you were talking about, Robert, I mean, I bought a seven-year-old ram out of West Virginia this year, um, and I wanted those old-school genetics that he had. You know, he was out of a ram that myself and some other breeders have always been that, – that have always enjoyed, you know. He's honestly – I'm kind of limited as to just which ones I can breed. I can breed him to most of my flock, you know, but he has some of those genetics that, cause there's times where like, yes, the next generation should always be better, but sometimes it's, oh, it not, don't always happen. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. always happen. And when everyone is always looking blinders on forward, you know, you need to keep an eye in the back, you know, or realize, I mean, i've like for one example, I have this one u line in my flock, and i've got um four u's that are all out of they' like one's a daughter of another one um and the oldest one's thirteen years old, and she had a single u lamb this year and uh you know, but you know she they've got awesome parasite resistance they've got great maternal numbers, and they're hardy and um I had her daughter is 11. She had twins this year and she had triplets last year. And it's just like that longevity. It's not always recorded in NSIP, but it's a line that I don't have issues with, you know, um, they're, they're easy keepers. They raise twins and triplets every year, well into their, you know, later years. Um, some of their numbers don't jump off the page at you, but they're really good cheap and they fit in my system. And that's something that, I didn't really think about until this week when I was talking with a couple of NSIP producers, they were like, you know, you're trying to make the best numbers you can, whether or not that's maxing something or, I mean, I prefer balanced traits, but even with that, you know, the, the person looked at me and was like, what well, does that fit in your system? You know, is, is that what you need? And I was kind of like, you know, I, I don't know. You know, um, a lot of what we sell is breeding stock for other producers. So, so many times, you know, cause we have a smaller flock. So we kind of get caught up in sometimes thinking about, well, what, what should we be doing? Not what works yeah. best for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's one of the, the great things about, you know, as you get started in the industry, you can learn things. I mean, <laughs> Hey, that's what, that's what we're doing on this podcast, right? I mean, learning, I mean, I know I've been learning things and Robert has been... I've done changed know, my mind five times, so... Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, you, you just, I mean, for that matter, you don't even have to be new to the industry. Um, and you're always learning something new. And, and, and maybe sometimes you you make the sheep fit, fit the system. And maybe sometimes you, you build your system differently. And then um, based off the kind of sheep that you want to produce and I think it's, you know, just the importance of having goals and, and going after those goals. And sometimes those goals change. So yeah, it's, it's definitely um, interesting how it all works out.
2: And that's one thing for us, you know, we've right now, we raise uh, about 30, 30 to 35 views on eight acres. Uh-huh. And about six and a half of that is pasture. And okay. then about an acre and a half is around the house. And then we've got a cut flower business. Oh, okay. uh, so it's like, we don't have a ton of space, but what we're trying to do is what do we want for the future? You know, eventually we want to have about hundred, 150 use, but it's like, what do we want our core to be? And so we're trying to develop, you know, 30 use that we really like, this is what we this is what we've been striving for so that when we do go to expand, we have a great base. So when we do keep, you know, all the ULAMs from this year and the next year, we can extrapolate it to get our numbers up, but they're going to be stuff that we would want to breed, not just for numbers sake.
1: So why don't you maybe tell us a little bit, kind of jumping into NSIP, is there a range of traits that you shoot for as far as EBV levels? Um, you know you mentioned you're kind of pushing parasite resistance is there a a particular level that that you aim for um when you're selecting a balanced animal or do you look at more so the the entire set of ebvs and how they kind of work together like oh maybe this one's really strong here so it kind of offsets this one here which is you know maybe something that i'd like to see higher but but what's kind of your target
2: yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing, you know, we do select for is parasite resistance. Now, also, we do have use, you know, that are in the negative 40, negative 50 range. Um, however, what we really, I mean, what we really select for is negative 95 and above. Um, that's what we really put some emphasis on, especially in our rams, um, because it is highly heritable. So, it, it, it is something that transfers from farm to farm uh, quite well and also we are up here in the north so stuff we sell south you know it made the numbers may adjust a little bit you know as you kind of get um in different areas so we want to make sure that stuff is going to hold up um the one we the last year we've really started putting a little bit more into is uh growth you know we were like predominantly, you know, we are a predominantly grass-based system. We do creep feed our lambs. Um, we do lamb in January. So January into February, so that's something that we just kind of need to do because they're really starting to grow. The grass isn't there. So we just, it is what it is. Um, ideally, eventually we would like to be grass fed only, but we're not there. Um, our pastures, we're improving them. So that's where we're at,
1: you know? And yeah, And that's a tough deal too. I mean, if you're lambing in, in January, February, I mean, it's hard to, you know, if you don't have grass till April or May, because, you know, if depending on the quality of your hay, you're kind of missing that growth curve if you're not giving them the nutrition they need. So it's kind of one of those tough deals where, you know, I mean, if you're feeding grass, hay, that's going to be even worse than fresh pasture. So, I mean, doing just grass is tough but if you were to do grass hay or something that'd be even harder and you know if you're feeding a creep feed you're kind of making up for that a little bit
2: yeah and and it's one of those i mean after we wean the lambs they are out on pasture and we Mm -hmm. you know and like for example we do have our parasite resistance to a point where we have to almost have poor management systems to create an infection yeah (laughs) it it, it sounds crazy to people
1: you're preaching to
2: the choir
0: man preaching to yeah
2: but it's like we're in we're in the north and i mean i did a composite fecal egg count last week and i've got a 200 egg per gram average i mean that doesn't work
1: yeah
0: It's great. It's great, but it doesn't work. Yeah. (laughs) Now, Are are y'all doing your own fecals? Do you do your own fecals?
2: Yes. Yes. Um, we actually started at, uh, we started collecting fecals, uh, last year was the first year that we did around. Um, it's not as hard as, I mean, you just kind of have to do it. Um, yeah, it's,
0: my wife doesn't like it on the kitchen table. So I quit. Well, well, I, well, I don't it on the kitchen table. <So. laughs>
2: we all need a setup, you know. Yes. Some people have a whole like room for it, and God bless those people. But I'm not one of them. Yeah, um, well,
0: I am now. I just haven't, uh, yeah. I haven't done it yet. <laughs> yeah,
2: when it's uh when it's fecal egg count time, we eat outside. The dining room's got the microscope and everything on it, and that's just kind of the way it is. Um, <laughs> what kind of time do you have per per
0: sample from a time you, not including collection, of course, but let's say you got a bucket full of samples, and uh, from a time you uh, do your mixture to counting to writing the number down, what kind of time you got per sample?
2: Well, we started, a. there was a new system that we got um, where you can take the sample and mix it with water and then you put it in the fridge for up to you know up to a week so you can kind of do it as you have time um and then it helps break up the pellets better that was one thing that that we kind of struggled with last year was making sure you because you have to get a, a, a it mixed up really really well or else you or else your counts are off you know there's so, nothing floating if you don't yeah and then so like there's like that phase now where it kind of breaks it off but i would say Probably, probably 15, 20 minutes. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. not at it. You know, like I'm, I'm still, I'm extra thorough. I make sure I'm not missing anything. Um, yeah. you know, if I had, but I also, I don't have a very good system. Um, honestly, like if I had, if I took the time and made like a area where I could have the microscope, the sink, the, you know, all my stuff set up, um you could more definitely sem- more of an assembly line type yeah deal. there's definitely people that that you should ask over me as far as the best way to do fecal leg counts i'm i'm a newbie in that game as far as that goes because there's people been doing it you know been doing their own for 10 15 years so oh man you know, whenever
0: I, we did, we had the expo in Worcester and we went to kathy billichs oh. and she was doing that uh that research project at the time and she was doing them every friday yeah like, oh my gosh yeah, serious
2: yeah. stuff. A chance to go to her place. Yeah, she has a whole sink. I mean, she has. She just added this room to her house, and it's it's that's all it's for. And she can knock them out. And I wish I could, but
1: yeah, I hear somebody saying, "Oh, yeah, it's not that bad." It takes about five minutes. I'm like, five minutes? It takes me like fifteen to twenty minutes. <laughs> but it, you know, it, it. I think part of it, you know, like you said, it's a setup. Um, you know, the way I've been doing it, um, you know is, is just out in the garage and I'll fill up a a jar of the saline solution and, um, you know, let it sit for a while, make sure it's all fully saturated. And then I just bring it out with me in a jar and I bring a, a a syringe out so I can measure it. And then, uh, just, I take the sample and, you know, put it through a strainer, all that sort of thing. And, um, and it, it seems to work pretty well. Yeah. With, with the pellets, I mean, it, it does definitely get get more tricky sometimes if it's, if it's pretty dry, but, um, yeah. So, um, when you're doing fecal egg counts, have you seen a reduction as you've selected more on parasite resistance as far as, I mean, you said you started off, you know, with, with sheep that weren't super parasite resistant, um, whether that's fecal egg counts or whether that's, you know, just body condition, have you seen improvements? um, by switching to parasite resistant genetics?
2: I would like to say I have, but I kind of started, um, with rather parasite resistant stuff. Yeah. (laughs) When we got into it, we were like, this is the thing, you know, I mean, people want this. So like, that's something we need to prioritize from the beginning.
1: Yeah. So from your Craigslist sheep to your, uh...
2: yeah. Well, we didn't do them on those. I don't even want to know what those would have (laughs) been. based on body condition and everything, I can tell you, we had issues. Um, so the pastures were quite infested when we brought our other sheep in. That's for sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it definitely makes an impact. And as we've sold uh, some rams to some commercial friends of ours, I mean, because we had a couple of friends reach out to us. They're like, hey, we're having all these parasite issues. I mean, long into the fall. Um, and they're like, we, we need help. And So we sold them a couple of rams and what, what really sells some people is once you find out you have a parasite problem, it's already too late. Yeah. They're already stunted. They already have issues and they're never going to grow like they normally would. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, if, you know, if you use these rams and one of the best rams that we've used as far as you know, for like a, a commercial application, you know, he was, he was like a negative, I think he was negative 89, um, as far as fecal egg count, but his post weaning weight was like 5.6. Um, you know, his prolificacy wasn't that great, but in a grass based system, that's fine. You know, if people have twins that grow great on grass without parasite problems, they're happy as could be. Yeah. So, it all depends on what your system is. And that's the one thing that we enjoy about NSIP is you can use it to fit whatever system you have. If you don't have a parasite issue because, you know, let's say you have them in a feedlot or whatever, don't select for it. That's fine. The system can still work for you.
1: Yeah. So along those lines, you know, for a for grass-fed system, I mean, most of the time you're talking a, a, a system where you're going to have lower prolificacy. Um, you know, that obviously drops your index. Um, do you guys factor in the index? Cause I talk to people sometimes and like, you know, they focus a lot on the index and then you talk to other people that don't even look at it. Um, do you factor that into your decision or do you focus more on the individual traits like the parasite resistance and the growth and the milk?
2: What we usually do is we kind of, we factor, all the traits that are not parasite resistance, and try and kind of have okay, these are all acceptable numbers. You know, I'm looking at one here. Um, it's actually a ram that we just purchased. That we're really excited about. He has a maternal weaning weight. You know, 1.1 weaning weight, 2.4 post weaning, 3.9 uh, post weaning fecal negative 97 number of lambs born and weaned of 13.8 and 14.9, and an index of 108. I mean, we do look for – we you know, we don't want our number of lambs born and weaned to get too low. I mean, all those traits are important. If we don't – if we lose sight of them, the focus on one, we're going to lose others. Yeah. What we do is we kind of make sure that our other traits, you know, are up there. Usually, I mean – Honestly, what we really shoot for is really, really balanced animals that have parasite resistance and by parasite, you know, very good parasite resistance. But I mean, it's really, really hard if we can have an animal that's in the top 75% of every trait with good parasite resistance, I'm in, you know what I mean? Um, I don't, because it's, it's one of those, now we have some used through time that we've that we've gotten and whatnot that need help in one particular trait or another. And we have some Rams to accommodate for that. Yeah. Kind of pick up in two traits, maybe not necessarily straight balanced across the board. What we like to do is have, we use three Rams usually every year. We like to have one Ram that is extremely balanced on the high end all the way across the board. That's where we kind of always want to get towards, you yeah, know, that's kind of like our goal ram yeah and um and then we've got usually two other rams that kind of complement each other and then we breed them to use that need those rams and by that we mean there's a particular you they need this ram to get to the end goal of a nice balanced ram you know what yeah I mean? um and we've got some that are already kind of there so we just have a nice uh, ran that's nice and balanced, but on the higher end of most, you know, just about every trait to kind of help pull them up just a little bit. And then we've got Rams that are there to do some, some work, you know, and in, in certain traits.
0: Are you using a spreadsheet to sort and do that kind of tracking
2: or? Oh. I would like to say I have this really advanced spreadsheet, but I just use Excel. Um, that's something that I was hoping to do more of last year. Um, I didn't get a chance to get it done uh, this past winter. So we'll see if I get some time this uh, this summer to do it. But I know several other people have some very, very nice spreadsheets um, to be able to kind of predict stuff. But largely you can kind of did look guys, at of averages.
0: Did you guys see the one Richard uh, shared on the uh, the listserv deal?
2: I have that one now, yeah. Yeah, that's
0: pretty pretty impressive.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's so many cool things that can be done with the system. Um, You know, one thing that I've experimented with and uh, still had to (laughs) fine-tune to get all the formulas to work right. But in Pedigree Master, there's a section for... You can put the registration number. And then there's also a section for a nickname where you can give the animal a nickname. And the thought popped in my mind one day, I was like, you know, what you could do is you could take that nickname section and you could put your KHSI flock ID there and then you could put your registration numbers in and when that gets dumped into the, the giant export folder or file, you could then take that data and put it into a file that would then, um, when you go to register lambs, all that data is there. You got the birth weight, you got the, the parents, um, you're going to have their, their nicknames or their flock IDs. You're going to have their registration numbers. And you could literally fill out a registration paper simply by typing in the IDs of the animal. Now, got to get a few formulas to work there. But there's so many things with Pedigree Master and, and other software systems that are out there that are... It, I think, you know, if you can utilize those tools, again, it just comes back to that that reality of there's so many different tools available um, and NSIP is just another tool that you can use. See, I'm selection. just the
0: opposite. I don't like pedigree master. I don't like nothing about it. So yeah. I do
1: everything in a spreadsheet and,
0: and well, do pedigree master.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So I guess when I say pedigree master, I'm not talking about inside the software. Oh, okay. I'm talking gotcha, about gotcha. the the database and how how it interacts, how you can dump from a spreadsheet you, into it and yeah. out of it. So because
0: the nickname comes from uh, the last yeah. so many digits of a column,
1: it automatically,
0: can.
1: yeah, yeah. Or you can you can actually change it and set it automatically, and so or set it to you know be a different a different ID, and so right. um, you can put that in a spreadsheet too. And so, yeah, there's there's kind of some some fun things in there, but but at the same time, I mean, just you know pedigree master itself there's not a whole lot of analysis but when you start digging into excel and the data that it dumps out then you can really really get into it so looks like a great place to stop
0: right there and uh, we'll continue with episode two and maybe three with our
1: conversation with brad carruthers Well everyone, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far and and hopefully it's sparking some questions in your mind as you're thinking about your operations and thinking about what you can do to improve maybe you're new and, and thinking about questions of of how you can continue raising your sheep and, and things that you're learning and things you still have questions about Send us an email uh, podcast at sheepthings dot com we'll get those emails and uh, we'll we'll be happy to answer your questions and uh, after we get a few questions, periodically we'll actually do a podcast uh, with question and answer and we'll answer your questions right on the podcast here so you can listen to our answers and and we're happy to answer any questions that we can and hopefully this podcast is, is generating those questions in your mind as you start thinking about it but hopefully it's answering questions too. You come to this podcast ready to learn and, and uh, I know I'm always learning something new talking with these people, people that I've I've known before people that I haven't, and you always learn something new. And so hopefully we can help answer your questions, but we can't answer your questions unless you send them to us. So again, that's podcast at sheepthings.com, podcast at sheepthings.com. Email us your questions, and we'll be happy to answer them uh, coming up here soon. Thanks for listening to the Sheep Things podcast. Stay connected to our website, and Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates. We want your feedback,
0: so you can email us at podcast at sheepthings.com for suggestions or comments. Thank you, and see you later.